You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Welcome to Living Way Church. Glad you're here today. And I am excited about today because we're going to talk about hope in a world that is not so hopeful in a hostile world. So we're going to be talking about uh, primarily to those that are deciding on whether they want to be a Christian or not and those that are Christian and that are all in. And uh, you're trying to figure out why is being a Christian so doggone hard? We're going to talk about today if living for Jesus is really worth it. And uh, the odds are against believers. So if you're a Christian today, I want you to tune in. And if you're thinking about being a Christian, I want you to pay attention. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to examine the cost of what it means to give your life to Christ. We've been walking through the book of 1 Peter, and uh, we've been going a little bit uh, slower through the book. Uh, So we're going to do one more week. Next week is our last week in 1 Peter in the series called Next. And we're, we're basically looking at a group of people that were in a very chaotic time of their life, chased out of their home because of persecution uh, the government was coming down. Nero had set out a decree to persecute and kill the Christians. So they were running for their life uh, out of the big cities. And Peter was writing a letter to encourage these Christians that didn't know what was next in their life. So we're going to pick up kind of where we left off. And the big idea of the next is that uh, Peter was saying that to understand the next in your life, you need to understand that you've been given a new life and a new way of looking at life. And, and that this new life causes things to happen, that we begin, when we grow, we begin to have a change of attitude, a change of actions, a change in how we view politics, a change in how we view our marriage, a change in how we view our friendships. And then Peter reminds us now in this section uh, that it's not going to be easy. So let's pick it up right there, First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. It says, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, Love one another, be compassionate and humble. He's saying, you know, just love on people, show affection, be a person of humility. And he says this, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. This is a great verse after the fact, right? This is like a great verse that you read after you've already cussed somebody out, after you've already cut somebody off, after you've already expressed your thoughts. You're like, oh man, that would have been a good verse. And it's a verse we tend to forget when we need it. So what Paul begins to talk about now is it is basically in life, I want you to write this down, in life, people will sometimes bring you pain. He's going to talk about how in life, there, because we live in a world that is filled with imperfect people, imperfect, sinful people, that this life, because we interact with people, it will be painful at times. And he says, and when that does, Since we live in an imperfect world with imperfect people, when we get hurt and when people betray us, we are not to pay back what they've done to us. James 1, 2, uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this in a small letter in the New Testament. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What kinds? Many kinds. He says, if you, no, he says, when you, you will suffer, you will encounter many kinds of difficult situations and people. He says, first of all, he says, consider it joy. That word consider means 
evaluate. Think it through. Evaluate its value. How you view your trials will determine how you get through your trials. Don't look at a trial as an intruder to life. When you see them through the eyes of faith, the Bible says it's accredited to us as joy. But equally, if we don't see them through the eyes of faith, then we see our trials as a debit from our life. So when you are faced with a person who hurts you, you need to ask yourself, hmm, is this going to be credit or debit? Every time you get wronged or somebody says something to you that you don't like or has hurt your feelings, you need to go, credit or debit? Am I going to use this to, for God to credit joy to my life or am I going to use this to debit joy from my life? Well, James says, consider it, value it, credit it as joy. And then he says, when you experience a trial, he says, um, he uses the word joy, which means it doesn't mean happy. Joy means a tranquility of soul. That means it's far beyond what happens to you. It's knowing that God is working even when what happens, that's what happiness is. It's good. It's things that make you feel good based on what happens and you get happy. Joy is not based upon what happens. It's a inside. He says, he says, don't get happy about it. That's dumb. Yeah, I got a flat tire. Yeah. Man. Yeah, somebody took my job. Yes, that's just dumb. He says, but consider it, evaluate it, and look at it through the eyes of God and allow it to credit joy to you. A tranquility of soul, a peace of soul that is not based upon what happens, says, whenever you face these many troubles. He says, we're not promised a trial-free life. This is going to happen. The question is, how will you face them? Here's an illustration I've used in the past before, and I thought it would be really good for today. Uh, A few years ago, I talked about this. Now, this is a tie-dye shirt that I actually made myself, and uh, it's pretty, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, I used to actually wear this shirt. It shrunk a few times. Sure, Ted. Uh, But you know what? When it comes to me, who's ever made tie-dye shirts before? What you do with a tie-dye shirt is you, uh, you have to tie it, and there is a tremendous amount of pain that goes into this shirt. When you make a tie-dye shirt, there's a lot of stress that goes into the shirt. You have to be tough with it. You have to tie it super tight. You have to wrap rubber bands around it. You have to twist it, and it's tightly put together, and it's put in boiling water, and it is dyed. And all that stress, all that pain, all that suffering into this shirt, all that hot water that this shirt goes through when it comes out, wow. Man, every shirt turns out different. Every shirt turns out a one of a kind, but it doesn't look this way until you put the stress on it, until you put the rubber bands around its neck, until you decide that it's got to be put in boiling hot water and dies. You know, God is saying that some of you are going through a tie-dye experience right now. And, and I want you to evaluate your tie-dye experience today with what First Peter is going to be telling us. And I want you to ask yourself, when God's doing a tie-dye work in your life, how are you going to respond? Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's at your school. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in your family, your marriage. Some of you, you feel 
stressed, you feel twisted, you feel like the rubber bands around you, that you're about to burst, things are getting hot. God's saying you got to die to yourself. You got to trust me on this. This is what God's saying. This is what Peter's saying. He goes on to say, he says, when this happens, when people hurt you, he says this, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to you, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. He says, man, if you will repay those that hurt you with blessing, that's what you were created for. This will be a blessing for you ultimately. So when they do, remember to bless them. I want you to write that down. When somebody hurts you, remember to bless them. Don't pay back what was done to you. Don't swing back. Don't hurl words back. Don't try to get them into trouble or throw anything. He says, it is time to actually do what Jesus said. He echoes what Christ says. Jesus says in Luke 6, he says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those that curse you and pray for those that mistreat you. When insulted, when hurt or offended, ask yourself, how do you respond? Today, how are you responding? Somebody is hurting you right now. Somebody here feels hurt and is in pain from somebody. I want to ask you, how are you responding to that offense? He goes on to say that we can do this because in Christ we have a new way of looking at life. He says this, verse 10, he says, for whoever would love life and see good days. How many of you want to love life? Some of you guys, you don't love your life right now, but how many of you would love to love life, right? Or you love life? Either way. Nobody? A few of you? Five of you? Ten? I hope ten of you love life today. Every one of us want to love this life. Man, I want to get up in the morning and go, yes. Some of you guys, you get up and you go, no. Peter says, man, you want to love life? And then he says, and see good days? And how many want to see good days ahead? Man, I'm believing for good days in my family, in my family, in my marriage. Well, he says, here's how. He says, whoever, if you want to, basically would like to see good days, he says, you must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil into good. They must Seek peace and pursue it. He says, if you want to live a life that is good, man, if you want to see life that you love, then you need to learn to control your lips. You need to learn to control your mouth. You need to learn to control your actions. You need to pursue peace, not payback. He says, man, if you live a life that reflects the character of God, your life will look different. You'll see your life different. Your attitude and actions play a big part in the joy of your life. He goes on to say, verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Is God for everybody? Trick question. He's not. He's not for everybody. The Bible says here, his face is against those who do evil. Some of you can't figure out why you can't see a break in your life. Maybe your life is not one that's reflecting God and honoring God, and therefore, he's not on your side. It reminds me of how Romans 5.10, because some of you are like, well, how can I ever get right with God if, I'm against, if God's against me? Romans 5.10 says that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. 
Think about that for a minute. When we hated God, when we uh, talked negatively in our heart about the plans and the will of God, when we wanted nothing to do with God, our heart was evil. The heart of man was hateful towards God. When we were enemies, when we wanted nothing to do, when we were running from him, he made a way for us. When we didn't want him, he sought after us and he brought us new life. He came to us while we were his enemies. He sent peace into our life. Christ Jesus, for those that would receive, this is how you love your enemy. You bless them. Verse 13, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. I want you to write this down. He says, even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. I want you to write it down. Doing the right thing will sometimes bring pain. Doing the right thing will sometimes bring pain. I want you to know this. Doing the right thing doesn't always turn out right. Sometimes when you stand up for what is right, things don't go well for you. Sometimes when you stand up for the truth, people do not back you up. Sometimes when you stand up for purity, you find yourself alone. Standing up for what is right, standing up for injustice, speaking out against evil, loving those who are difficult to love, speaking about Jesus. We are to live unapologetic in a life that is hostile towards purity in the life of God. And sometimes when we live unapologetic for God, we experience pain in this life because we did the right thing. Some of you at work are experiencing this right now. You're like, God, I'm doing what's right. I'm being a person of integrity. I'm, 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 I'm being honest, but I never seem to get a break at work. Everybody else seems to get the jobs, get the projects, get the raise. God, I don't get it. I'm doing the right thing in my marriage, but it doesn't seem to work out. I'm just, seems like a wedge is getting deeper and deeper in my marriage. And with my kids, God, I'm doing the right thing, but I just feel like they're getting further and further from me. God, I, I don't get it. I'm trying to do the right thing, but my parents and I, we're just not getting along. Sometimes doing the right thing at school or work or in your family and your life will bring pain. He says, if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Around the globe, for example, Christians suffer right now for their faith. Here's a couple of examples. In Iran, uh, people are regularly imprisoned. Some are executed uh, in Muslim courts. In Eritrea, which is in Africa, uh, there are thousands, even kids, who are often imprisoned and put in jail, children and parents, simply because they participated in teaching, uh, Bible teaching in Sunday school. Christian villages in Nigeria are attacked and burned to the ground, uh, displacing thousands of people. Hundreds of Christians are expelled from schools and attacked daily in Nigeria. In South Sudan, Christians are mobbed, attacked, skinned alive, and in many places they're permanently disfigured by putting their face in fire or throwing acid in their face purposely to mark them and disfigure them 
in society. In India, Christian leaders are often kidnapped, tortured, and murdered. And in China, Christian leaders are beaten and imprisoned regularly. 200 million Christians right now are suffering under intense persecution. 200 million Christians right now are suffering intense persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. They're doing the right thing, but they're experiencing the pain. This is what Peter is talking about. And around the world, 400 million people are estimated globally face discrimination simply because they are Christians. They can't get jobs or buy homes or are considered the lowest class of society in their, in their region simply because they are Christian. We who live life in freedom, we must pray for them because this is our brothers and sisters if you're a Christian. These people shouldn't be on the back of our mind, but on the forefront of our thoughts as we pray each day. This is what it means to stand for Jesus. Our little persecution, because we can't, you know, read our Bible at break time. Oh, boo-hoo. You can read your Bible before you come to work or read it at break time if you're allowed. But don't look at your life as being persecuted. This is persecution. You know, I, I want to encourage you. We have a different type of persecution, but but this is what it means to to suffer for the name of Christ. And I pray to God we never get to that place here in the United States. But when it does, and when they experience persecution, when you struggle in your life, when it does happen, Peter says, remember the hope you have. He says, remember the hope you have. Even if you suffer, he says, you're blessed. What are we blessed for? I mean, if I just got fired or I lost a position because someone who's a, a not a Christian went out and drinks with the boss and they like him better, but I don't do that sort of thing and I don't get the job or the position, God, how is that a blessing? Because you know what you have that they don't have? Life, eternity, the peace of God the joy of God, the peace that surpasses understanding that you can go to the very throne of God and talk to the creator and he is on your side, that you have a assurance that when this life is over, there's so much more waiting for you that's better. He says, you are blessed. First Peter 3, he goes on in verse 14, he says, but even if you should suffer for it is right, you're blessed. He says, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. He says, don't fear the soldiers, the guns, the mobs or, the, or their words. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That means remember who's Lord. Always be prepared. This is in the context of that, of suffering in the context of persecution. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the joy or the hope you have. He says, man, when you're in the midst of persecution and you stand for what is right and your life reflects the joy of God in spite of your suffering, people are going to notice, they're going to, what's up with you? How come your life is falling apart, but yet you still have joy? He says, man, your attitude will speak volumes. How you respond to trials will cause others to notice. So he says, be ready to answer why you have this hope. He says, but when you do, do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. That means living an honorable life before God so that those who speak maliciously against you your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed uh, uh, so that your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. In January of 20, uh, January 23rd of 1999, um, there was an Australian missionary to the country of India 
um, who had been ministering with the lepers there in small villages for over 30 years. His name was Graham Staines. And his son, Philip, who was 10 years old, and his other son, Timothy, who was six years old, had gone to a Christian camp in the jungle. He had often would travel and speak and um, just share Jesus with villages. And uh, when they went to speak at these camps or VBS, they would sleep in their car, in their Jeep. Well, while Graham and his two sons were sleeping in their Jeep while speaking at a camp one week, a mob of Hindus attacked them and set fire to their vehicle, and they were burned alive and murdered. Um, When the fire cooled, they were found uh, with their charred bodies and dad huddling his children, all of them burned to a crisp as he held his children, and they all died together, murdered. His wife, Gladys, responded with an amazing amount of grace and peace and forgiveness and all of India listened, and the reporters showed up, and cameras, and on the front page of the newspaper, her story was given. And this is what she said. On the front page of every newspaper in India, she said, I have only one message for the people of India. I'm not bitter, neither am I angry, but I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country would establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, who gave his life for their sins. She says, let us burn hatred, and spread the flame of Christ's love. She then remained in India. She and her daughter remained in India, India, and to this day they still work among the lepers in India. This is a perfect illustration of being ready to explain the hope that you have in the midst of persecution. And it gave her a platform of life change and a a a large amount of people were inspired to mission work as a result of this because she stood for Christ in the face of persecution. Verse 17, it says, For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And I want you to write this down, is that God will sometimes allow pain. God will sometimes, it says, if it is God's will to suffer. Or it is better if it is God's will to suffer if it's for the right thing. I want you to hear this. God does not cause pain, but he does in his sovereignty allow pain. God does not cause the persecution, but he does in his abilities allow suffering. Why would God allow that? God will often use it to shape us, refine us, perfect us, humble us, and cause his glory to, I mean, I'm telling you, as, as horrific as that experience was with that father and those two boys, what the enemy meant for evil, God used as a platform to proclaim the gospel of Christ to millions of people in the world. It was front page news around the globe in 1999. So that we can reflect the beauty and hope of Christ in a hurting world, sometimes God will allow pain in our life. See, here's the problem with outer space. Anybody been to outer space? You have anybody else who wants to one day walk in space? Anybody? Really? Who wants to, maybe you can go with the uh, Lady Gaga, Britney Spears or something. And I think she's what doing a concert out there someday. Um, the thing with outer space is that there's no gravity, right? I mean, there's, there's nothing 
to keep you uh, tethered to the earth. There's weightlessness. Um, so there, there's something um, uh, good about the pressure of gravity. But, you know, when you fall off a building, it's not so good, right? <laughs> when you trip and you fall and land on your face, gravity doesn't seem like a friend. But if it weren't for gravity, we'd be floating out in space. It's gravity that keeps us tethered and grounded to the earth. Let me, let me tell you something. Likewise, there's something good about the pressures of life that keep us tethered to God. And sometimes these pressures and these pains and these trials in life keep us tethered to God and keep us from just wandering off and doing our own thing. Sometimes God allows pain into our life so that we remember, God, I'm tethered to you and I need you. I need that reminder that I need to be on my face and relying upon you. And when I don't rely on you and you love me enough to care for me, you allow things to go wrong in my life so that I can go back to a place where I rely on you. See, God will sometimes use these in his will. So will there be persecution? Perhaps. Will family disown us? Possibly. Will there be unfair accusations? Probably. Can our enemies kill us? Well, some have already. Will we lose everything? Maybe. Then what do we do? This is what Peter says. He says, when it happens, remember Jesus. He says, remember Jesus. He says, for Christ also suffered. He says, Christ also suffered for once for our sins, the righteous or the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Though he was without sin and perfect in every way, though he was never vile or mean, he was cursed upon, he was beaten, he was crucified for you and for me. He says, when you feel like you're going through pain and suffering, he says, remember Jesus. He did that for you. And if he did that for you, you can live for him and he will give you the strength. Peter then takes a moment to to basically talk about one of the most confusing passages in the entire New Testament. And um, it's kind of a little footnote, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this little part right here, but it wouldn't be right if we skipped it because we're reading through 1 Peter. So for about four verses, he almost makes no sense whatsoever. So I'm going to give you what I feel like he's saying here. And, uh, and it's okay if we disagree, because again, this is one of the mo- more confusing portions of, of Scripture, this next few seconds. He says, he says, verse 19, he says, basically, after Jesus was alive in the Spirit, he says, after being made alive, that is, in the Spirit realm, after he was crucified, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits to those who were disobedient long ago. I believe that Peter is saying that those three days that Jesus was in the grave, he was actually in a place called Sheol. The Bible says the place where the dead went in the Old Testament before they could go to heaven and before there was a place of final judgment in hell, there was a place called Sheol. And Sheol had two parts to it. Sheol had a place of of uh, of 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 pain and suffering for those that were enemies of God. And there was a place of blessing called paradise where those that follow God in the Old Testament but couldn't go to heaven because they were forgiven of their sins dwelled. And that place of Sheol or the grave or the place of the dead, that's where Peter seems to imply that Jesus went in that time that he was made alive in the spirit. Though he was dead on the cross 
and dead in that tomb. He was alive in the spirit and went to the place where the imprisoned spirits were. And he says, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. He says, and this water symbolizes baptism. Now, all of a sudden, he flips over and talks about baptism. He says there's a salvation sense that, that God, though he was in the grave, and though he spoke to those imprisoned spirits, he proclaimed this sense of, of judgment and justice all in the same time. And he says it reminds him of when Noah, though there were only eight that were brought out of the water, and though the water cleansed the earth, he says that's kind of like baptism. He says when you're baptized, he says baptism is a symbol of you of God cleansing us, of putting to death this life, and that the ark represents us coming out of the water saved from death. And he says, that's what baptism is, is like. And he says, that now saves you also. And he says, not the removal of dirt from the body. He says, baptism isn't a physical cleansing. He says, but it's more spiritual. He says, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. That means our faith towards God. So he's not saying that baptism is our salvation. Our faith saves us, but rather baptism mirrors our salvation, representing death to this life in the grave, and that when we are lifted out, we are given new life. It's a picture of our declaration in Christ. In fact, if you have not been baptized, I want to encourage you, that's the next step. In fact, around the world, predominantly in other countries outside of the United States, you're not even considered a Christian until you're baptized. In Muslim countries, they don't persecute you or burn down your house or torture you or consider you worthy of persecution unless you are baptized. That's how significant it is to the church around the world. But we in America, we kind of put it at the bottom list of things that are important for our faith. Our faith in Christ is our salvation. However, baptism is a public declaration that says we belong to Jesus. So if you've never been baptized, it's time. Sign up, use your connection card, and let us know that you're interested. He goes on to say, it is your pledge of faith that saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has now gone into heaven and is at God's right hand. That's a symbol of highest honor, highest authority. Christ is in session. He's sitting in the judge's seat. He says, at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So here's the big picture. Peter boldly declares... On earth, Jesus is Lord. In hell, Jesus is Lord. In the heavens, Jesus is Lord. And in the universe, Jesus is Lord. He says what started as suffering ends in triumph. And he says if you're going through suffering, it may feel like suffering now, but it ends in triumph. What a great passage. He says, and it will for you too. Trials are a good thing. They are a biblical thing. They are a spiritual thing. To the secular mind, it makes no sense. The nonsense makes sense. Yet for a Christian, we know that God uses them for something good. It's the tie-dye. It's the tie-dye. Remember that God is using these experiences to make us into something unique and different and special. And we've got to remember Peter saying that it may be hard now, but it's not always going to be this way. I want to zip through this last chapter for today. Uh, we, there's actually two chapters left, but we're just going to do one more. It's chapter four. 
And just a few thoughts on suffering. He uses the next few moments to talk about some thoughts when dealing with suffering. So I want to share them with you. In verse 1, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in this body, arm yourself with the same attitude. I want you to write this down. Jesus suffered, so will we in this life expect it. So will we. He says, arm yourself, be ready. Christ suffered, arm yourself, be ready. It's going to happen to you too. Are you prepared to suffer for Christ? Some of I, This is what I was saying earlier. If you're not a Christian, I want you to realize that being a Christian is not about church attendance. It's not about learning to give tithe. It's not about volunteering at a church and being a good person or doing outreach. Those are the fruit of a good disciple, but that's not what being a Christian is about. Being a Christian is about a surrender of life and standing up for God in a world that's hostile against God. And being a Christian is not easy. And Peter says straight up, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, it will be hard. It will be painful. He says, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. That means those who stand strong in the faith, they prove that they belong to Christ and sin no longer has a hold on them. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you ever make a mistake. It just means that if you give your life to Christ and you realize that you're living through some suffering, just realize, you know what? That's just proof that you know that you're dead to sin. It doesn't have a hold on you anymore. As a result, they do not live the rest of their eternity I'm sorry, the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. Christ has a way of bringing a sense of focus into our life. All of us said, man, when you are truly the Lord's, you look at life different. You experience life different. You, you understand and, and think of life in different ways. Jesus' followers have a different way of, of, of examining the issues of life. We live in a new, with a new motivation. Our eyes are on Christ. And he says, are you prepared? Even if it means suffering, I want you to write this down. He says, suffering has a way of shaping us. The truth is, if we trust in Christ, he will enlarge our view of eternity and of this world. He will emerge and he will look different. Let me tell you something. These shirts, you know, they remind us that all that, rubber band, all that stress, all that boiling. If we trust in him, we will emerge unique. This is another one that I had made. And uh, I like this one. It's a little bit bigger. That's also why I like this one. (laughs) And uh, we all made some, and Summer still wears hers. I'm going to stretch this. Um, He says, you know what? Suffering has a way of shaping us, and some of you are better because of it. Some of you are better because of the suffering, the trials, those years where you didn't know if your marriage was going to make it. You're better now because of it. Your marriage is stronger because of it. Those years where you thought you were losing your kids and you finally decided to put work on the back burner and activities on the back and focus on your family, you're better for it. Some of you, you were running from God your whole life and then you hit a gutter face down. You got spiraling into a, a life of abuse or addiction and, and that pain and that suffering got you to look up finally to see the grace of God in your life. He says suffering has a way of shaping us and getting us in a different mindset of life. He says in Christ we view our life different. He says for you have spent, I love this verse, he says you've spent enough time in the past 
doing what pagans choose to do. That means living in debauchery with lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing, detestable idolatry. He says, man, some of you, you've had enough of your old life. Some of you, you've had enough of, of chasing girls. You've had enough of chasing money. You've had enough of chasing uh, some sort of position of popularity. Or you've had enough of chasing everything. He says, you've had enough. You've spent enough time on these things and now your eyes are open and you don't want to go back anymore. He says, some of you, you know, the shackles of sin are off you. He says, so something powerful jumps out here, by the way, and I don't want you to miss this. And you can write this on the side is this passage reminds me that Christ can change anybody. He says, man, this was some of you. He says, you've had enough. You've spent enough time being a sexual addict or being a drug addict or being an angry person. You've you spent enough time involving yourself in with deep bouts of depression and darkness and pagan activity. He says, you've spent enough of time doing that. And that reminds me, that means there's those that are doing that now that God can grab a hold of. So don't give up on anybody. Don't give up on mom and dad. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your parents. Don't give up on that friend at school. Don't give up on that guy at work. Don't give up on that family member. Whatever you've been doing, whatever you've done, I want you to know God's not done with you. And he says, come. Verse 4, he says, They were surprised that you did not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. I want you to write this down. Suffering in this life is often a result of rejecting this world's way of life. You know, the Grammys, I didn't have this in my notes, but I was thinking the Grammys this past week were um, uh, a talker. I don't know if you guys read the news or anything. There's a lot, a lot of issues in the Grammys. It kind of stirred up a lot of like angry parents and family and confusion. I mean, there was lots of sexuality like is normal in the Grammys. There was a, they did this big gay wedding, which is not normal, but they were doing what they were doing. And uh, then there was this performer who also had basically an occult seance for her entire song. And there was just all this buzz about what is going on. And there was a Christian artist who was at the Grammys and she was nominated for a song and she, uh, she thought it was exciting to be there, but she had tweeted that I just have to leave. She just had to go. She said, I've never been more proud of my whole life to proclaim the name of Jesus and to sing for Jesus. And she says, as, basically, as, as exciting as it was to be at the Grammys, she just knew that it wasn't a life that reflected her life, and she had to go, and she left. Not to point out any particular artist, it was just the entire experience was heavy on her heart, and she left. And that takes boldness. And you know what? All this week, she's gotten so much flack, so much hate, emails and comments and, and tweets and Facebook. There's so many. The, the secular media is condemning her as being mean and judgmental. And she's, you know what? Sometimes we are rejected simply because we reject this world's way of life. And you won't be friends with everybody. Stop trying to be friends with everybody. That's something that somebody needs right now. Something big is coming, he says. The end of all is near. Turn to your neighbor and say, the end is near. (laughs) Some of you are like, well, Peter missed it. (laughs) Because 2,000 years later, the end wasn't near. Well, 
Basically, that translation literally means the end of the age is near or coming soon. He says, therefore, be alert, be sober-minded so that you may pray. Some suppose that this is a false prophecy of the return of Christ in his lifetime. So some people say, yeah, Peter heard from God, but on that one, he missed God. He didn't miss God. This was, he was saying something big is coming and it did come. In fact, it came within just a three years. This was believed to have been written anywhere from 65 to 67 AD. And at 70 AD, the most uh, catastrophic event in the history of religion took place. Jerusalem was was attacked by Rome, and the entire city was turned to rubble. Millions and millions of people were slaughtered. The city literally ran full of blood, and the temple was destroyed, just as Jesus had prophesied 40 years earlier, that before this generation passes away, this temple will be in rubble. Peter knew it was coming. Because that generation was coming to an end. He, he felt the move of God on him saying the end is near. A big change is coming, and it did, and it changed everything. And he says, and when it does, be ready because there'll be more persecution. There'll be more suffering. And when it does, he says, do this. Above all, he says, when it happens, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. I want, to, I want you to write this down. This is one of the things I want to end on is that the key to suffering in this life is loving on each other. What he does next is he says they, that if you want to endure the suffering that's about to come your way in their life, it was, man, they were running for their life. They were or experiencing intense persecution from Nero. He says, but more is coming. A big change is coming. And when it does, it's going to get even worse. So get ready. You're going to need each other. Guys, listen, we don't have that happening in our lifetime right now. But you know what's happening in our lifetime? Suffering, pain, hurt. We live in a hostile world towards the ways of God. And God's saying to us today, we want to make it. We want to survive. You want, you want to know that you can get through another day? We need each other. We don't need to be running from church or running from our small groups or running from those church friends that can help us. He says, man, we need each other. Run to each other. He says, pray for each other. Serve each other. He says, you need each other. It's going to be hard. And the way to get through is to love on each other. He gives us an example of how. How do we love each other? Well, he says this. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. He says, man, when somebody needs a place to stay, let them in. Serve them. Give them a dinner. Be nice to them. Give them a place to stay. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, man, let him, let him speak the very words of God. He says, if anyone serves, man, do it with the strength that God gives you. He says, so that in all things, God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. He says, the only way we're going to make it through this life is if we stick together as, as believers, as encouragers, as lovers of each other. In other words, in other words use your God-given gifts to bless and love on others. You may be the key to helping someone get through their pain. Peter's saying, pray, love, and serve each other. And this is where he ends, this verse right here, uh, these last couple verses. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange has happened. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ 
so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Verse 19, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good. Here's my last thought, and I want us to pray. And this is this, suffering in this life won't last forever. Glory is coming. But until then, be faithful. That's what he says. That's the, that's the word. He says, man, suffering will come. It will be hard. We need each other. Be faithful. So I'm going to encourage you guys. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're experiencing today. I don't know what kind of offense you have experienced, if, if it's at work or a person or an issue. God is saying to you, lean on each other, be faithful to each other, serve each other, and be faithful to the Creator who has not given up. He says Creator because He's reminding us God is in charge. He's in charge. Remember that verse I started with, James 1-2. He says this. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. We don't know what kind of trial is coming tomorrow. We don't know what kind of trial is coming today. We had a dear friend of ours. We were laughing with him at dinner last night, but a great tragedy happened within two hours of their life. And he's at the hospital right now praying to God for an answer on what to do. We don't know when suffering will come. He says, but when it comes, know that it is a testing of faith that develops perseverance, a sense of endurance and character. He says, perseverance must must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, I often think about my life. I say, God, why in the world did you put me through the li- through the life? Man, I don't know about, t- I don't know many of your stories, but I grew up in an abusive home, in a strange home, in a, with a mother that battled drug addiction and alcoholism. And uh, I had stepfathers that beat me. I was, we were homeless for a season. I gave my life to Christ. As a teenager, I thought that would change everything, but life seemed to get that much more confusing and complicated in many ways, but I never gave up on God. I served faithfully God. I went into ministry only to get hurt time and time again by the people who I loved, and then I was faithful to God knowing that God would be with me only to get cancer in 2009, and I can't help but think, God, what is going on? Why are you putting me through so many different issues? Why, God? I, I, I don't understand why. And this is what he says. He says, here's why. I want you to put it on. He says, I want you to put it on. He says, if you put it on, you'll show others your life. Your life will reflect me. See, here's why you go through the suffering. Because God says, I want you to wear your story so that you might help others through their story. Some of you, it's time to wear your story, to tell your story, to share your story. Your suffering wasn't in vain. The Lord is using you to comfort and heal others. And I believe that's what God is talking to me about and he's talking to you about and that's what Peter is talking to us about. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your goodness, your faithfulness in our life. God, that you never give up on us, Lord, even though sometimes we feel like giving up on you. God, when we don't understand the the issues of this life and the pain that comes our way, God, I thank you that you never give up and you never give in and you never leave us alone.
God, if there's someone here that has been wondering if they want to be a Christian, I pray that you would draw them to you and that they would spend these next few minutes just talking to you. And God, if there's someone here that is wondering if they want to, if this, if it's worth being a believer, I pray that you would inspire them to the courage that Christians around the world are enduring for their faith and give them the courage to endure. God, thank you that you are maturing us. And God, that's what's next in our life, maturity. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.